a great couple of Sundays previously, haven't we? And, and you know, hearing from uh, Robin and Jay sharing about uh, their, their upcoming cross-cultural ministries they're going to start here at Hills, starting with English classes next year. And uh, there was well over 20 people offered to help with that. That was exciting and warmed my heart to hear that you're all, you're all in. You, you love this idea. Gee, there's a big hole right here, isn't there? What happened? <laughs> that was the youth? Oh, okay. All right. I'll just have to keep looking a further afield this morning. Anyway, back to what I was saying. That's exciting. Uh, and last week we had our, our missions Sunday or weekend, and the team did such a good job, didn't they, leading us through that. And we did set a little bit of a financial target for us all here to support what we've committed to all of the the various missionaries that we support here. Uh, The the overall budget for the year is 44,000, and we were hoping to hit about um, 50% of that, and we're on our way. So we're already at about 17,000. That's exciting, just from last week alone. And so if you missed your opportunity last week to give, uh, it's been a, it's a, a long-term tradition in this church. We call it a self-denial offering. If you would consider giving one day's wages towards our missions budget, that would be something that I'd ask you to prayerfully consider. And you can do that on your way out today at the information um, desk. Desk or counter. What are, we, what are we calling it? Desk is good. Okay. I'm keen to get back into Philippians today. Anyone else with me? So we're at, this is week five. It had a two-week break. Week one... We started, chapter one, obviously, it was, a, it was a message called Healthy. We were looking at, uh, you know, Paul was kind of saying, gee, you guys in Philippi, I love your church. And there's some good things going on there. And so he looked at why he would say that, what makes a, a church healthy. The second thing, the second message was called Contagious. And uh, it was through the scripture that Paul was saying, you know, those of you, you, you face pressure and persecution. It's really hard. And yet you're so strong in your faith it's, it's inspiring, it's contagious. And so the question I, I ended with was, was, how contagious is our faith to those around us? Week three was a message called Attitude. And I think this is one of the central themes, quite frankly, of Philippians. Because in uh, chapter 2, verse 5, I'll put it on the screen, and Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Uh, I just, that, I, that, that verse just kind of uh, reverberates in my mind a lot as I think about how I go about my day and my week. Because that attitude is based on, on Jesus as the example. A, a very uh, Humility is the key word, really. Humility, a humble person in every way, is what Jesus was and who we should be. Not judgmental, not critical, not arrogant, not prideful, not I know it all, not negative or critical all the time, not angry, not selfish, not greedy, not having to always be right, not divisive, not defensive, not easily offended. There's a lot of knots in there. Welcome back, you two. <laughs> I just saw Chris and Andrew here have been away on long service leave. Sorry, inappropriate doing in the middle of a message. But welcome back to you guys. Excited to see you. Sorry. But there's a lot of knots in there. I'm trying to say, here's what humility is not. Here's what being a Christian is not. It's not those things. It's being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is a humble is humility, peaceful, loving, like Jesus. Week five was a message called Servant, and this is taking a look at what it means to be a servant of Jesus. Again, we got the, 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 the word from Philippians about what that can look like. And this week, we're moving into chapter three, and today's message is called Precious. 
Now, immediately when I say the word precious, there's a certain book series and movie series that comes to mind, yeah? This might just jog your memory. There's a photo here. There's two hobbits there in Hobbiton. Lord of the Rings. He loves Lord of the Rings, by the way. I didn't see enough hands go up then. Just pretty disappointed. <laughs> the whole, you know, there's so many messages in the Lord of the Rings for us. You know, there's the classic good versus evil. There's corruption and temptation and abuse of power and control for personal gain. There's, there's the story of an unlikely group of people and they find strength and courage to overcome insurmountable odds. They come together in fellowship and they're at their best, aren't they, when they're united on their mission. When they keep the main thing, the main thing. And there's probably about a hundred other lessons from the Lord of the Rings that you can take away from that story. But one of the messages is around what is, what is precious to us? What is the most precious thing to us? What has the most value in our life? You know, what is it that makes our hearts actually just beat that little bit faster? You know, when we think about something or someone, it grabs us. I remember when I was 17 and I was looking to buy my first car and I couldn't stop thinking about it because <laughs> boys will be boys, right? And, and I just, you know, it, and, and where I worked, I ended up buying a car off another guy there and he was driving it in every day and I knew I was going to be buying this car and man, I just, it, grabbed, it grabbed me, which is a worry, but this is what I'm talking about. What is precious to us? Is it the thing that gives us power to rise above people, perhaps? Or is it actually, is it love for the people? The Apostle Paul, before he was a follower of Jesus, he thought he knew what the most precious thing was in his life. He actually not only believed in God, he followed his laws, the Jewish law, zealously, strictly following it. It was really precious to him. Even though following the Jewish law was good and right, he discovered that there was something far more precious than that. And he uncovered it. Jesus revealed himself to him. He discovered the most precious thing to us as humans. The purpose for our, our, our actual existence was to be in a right and loving relationship with our creator, with God, through the forgiveness of sin and to put our faith in Jesus. He realized that was the most precious thing. It was that encounter with Jesus and saving grace that led him to live for God for the right reasons. So we're going to read about it. Here's what he said in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. It'll be on the screen behind me. He says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out. For the dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, the context here, I think most of you would be aware, it's around Jewish converts who still were holding on to this practice of, of circumcision. You know, it was, a, it, was a, it was an outward sign of covenant with God. And they were saying, well, you have to still do this to be saved. Paul was saying, that's not the gospel they had this long history, and it was hard for them to give up something like that. 
But what it did was it put an, an unneeded roadblock in the mission that Paul had. He was trying to meet the gent the, the he was trying to reach the Gentiles, the basically anyone who wasn't from his his Jewish background, his his, his clan. He was trying to reach them and, and yet the people that were we're finding Jesus, we're still saying, no, no, you've got to keep doing this. He's saying, no, you don't. That's, you're just putting roadblocks in people's, people's way. In fact, Paul was so frust- frustrated, he, kinda, you know, he, he calls them dogs. I thought that was a little bit harsh, to be honest, but he was obviously pretty upset. Now, I love my dog, by the way, <laughs> but we know what he means. In fact, my dog, my wife is at home caring. She's a nurse for our dog this week because she had an operation, all this sort of thing. So we love our dogs. But he was talking about, you know, those dangerous dogs. Um, the ones that can, you know, they bite you. They harm you. What they sell you sometimes is dangerous to us. Anyone ever been bitten by a dog here? Yeah, a few of us have. Some of us worse than others. And I remember when I was about... 12, and I was helping my next-door neighbor deliver phone books. Yes, phone books (laughs) for the scouts. And when I ran into a house, a dog came at me and and bit me. And, and, you know, it took me a while to get uh, to be okay with dogs after after that. I don't know why I told you this story. But anyway, (laughs) here's the thing. Point number one, watch out for imitations. Watch out for imitations. They can lead us astray. False teachers, bad teachers, ignorant teachers. There can be a lot of them in our wider Christian world, yeah? Or at least they claim to be in the Christian world. Some teach an imitation gospel. This is what Paul was upset about. You're not teaching the real thing. And they lead people astray, sometimes um, from ignorance, sometimes out of selfish benefit. The problem is that Sometimes it can be hard to know who who are the dangerous ones. There's been thousands of false teachers and preachers over thousands of years that have led people away from spirit and truth. So I thought we'd just quickly do a few tips on what to watch out for since Paul brought it up. The first thing is we should look out, and, and this is the one we've already started talking about, we should look out for teachers who demand that you have to work for your salvation. This is... This was the big one for Paul's time, particularly around this issue of circumcision. But in general, any teaching that requires you to work for your salvation is false teaching. And I know it can be confusing at times because I stand here week after week imploring us to do, to live the way Jesus wants us to. And Jesus himself, he says that you should align with me and, and you should have holiness of character and obey what I say But what some fail to understand is that he asks for these things as a response to what he has done. He asks for these things out of a response to a love relationship. And that's the key. The love relationship is what Jesus desires. And and it's our works that flow out of that. It's a response to the love Jesus has for me and what he has done for me. And I just can't help it but wanting to do what he has called me to in return And so my works kind of confirm what Jesus has done. Not kind of do, they do. It's a desire to live for him with every part of me. It's the work of the Holy Spirit as he refines me and transforms me into the likeness of Christ for my benefit, for the benefit of those around me, for the benefit of the world, and because it pleases Christ. 
and the teachers who line up a list of rules and demands as the pathway to salvation, they're missing it. That kind of teaching is not salvation in Christ alone. It's legalism and it's bondage and it's destruction because, quite frankly, that kind of teaching is not possible. It just leaves people to nothingness. It upset Paul because freedom in Christ was at risk of being lost to these poor Gentiles and he's trying to reach them with the good news and these guys were coming along and saying, you've got to do these things. He said, no, you don't. Christ has done it. Now, just to make sure I'm right, let's keep reading verse 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. You know, he means uh, spiritually circumcised. You know, there's a mark on us. We keep reading, we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And he's not bragging. He's making a point that if salvation was possible by works of all the people who could achieve it, it would probably be him. But even after all that he did in life by following the law to a T, it wasn't even close. It wasn't enough. And he goes on in verse 5. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. You know, there's a lot of uh, religions around the world, and even some that claim to be Christian, that demand you earn your salvation. Paul says here, and I'm just reading the Bible, that it's garbage. It's not possible. It's garbage theology, in other words. I know the NLT likes to be slightly more flowery, but I looked up the, the, the actual word just to see why the NLT translated that way, and it actually just means refuse, you know? It's the stuff you throw out. There's an alternative to it. It says you can, it, it actually means dung. So we know what he's saying, right? <laughs> it's dung. Christ did the work we can't do. It's only by his grace and mercy that we are saved his gift for us, this is why we celebrate and sing and put our arms in the air and we get excited and we say hallelujah, right? Because we can't make it. We can't do it. To be with God, you've got to be perfect. And we can't. Christ was and his sacrifice reconnected us and gave us the righteousness that we need. But the cost was high and to alter his teaching really does cheapen that grace that Jesus paid that high cost for, for us. And may I add... You know, you, uh, most of you probably know, but some of you perhaps don't. You're sitting in a, a Wesleyan Methodist church today. We're supposed to be the holiness, supposed to be holiness people, but we have to be careful, us holiness people, not 
to let our message of holiness suddenly slide into a message of legalism or works because Paul's going to tell me, pastor, that's garbage, that's dung, and you might even be called a dog, okay? So harsh words from Paul, but I'm just saying this is how important this thing is. And I've experienced times in my life when I felt this way, the demands to do the right thing for the wrong reasons always leads to like a shame and a condemnation and inevitably a fail. The gospel is the good news of God's love for every single one of us and holiness at its core is our expressed love for God through a, a, a fully surrendered heart. You know, out of this comes something, out of this love relationship with, with Jesus comes something beautiful, a transformation, changed desires, power to overcome you know, that, that sin that just constantly just wants to go after me and dogs me all my life, there is a power to overcome that. Out of this comes flourishing for us, flourishing families, flourishing churches, flourishing communities. But it's what Christ did that saved us. Never forget it. The second one is teachers who use or teach false prosperity you know, what the world says is prosperity and what Jesus says is prosperity is often, there's a gap. They're different things. And from my observation, teachers and preachers who constantly promise material wealth, you know, if only you had enough faith, you can have all that, all that stuff that you, your heart wants. They promise all these other things, comforts and more and more stuff in your life, and they package it as a blessing from God they're often the ones that seem to have all the wealth, quite frankly, out of this teaching. In other words, a false prosperity gospel seems to benefit that particular teacher more than the hearers. I don't know if you've noticed that. They zip around in, in private jets and wear white suits and things like that. It's, it's, it's wrong. This kind of teaching, you know, it's wrapped up in just enough truth, though. They can find just enough truth. And it feels right sometimes. And I don't for a second believe that we have to live in poverty, by the way. I don't think it's God's idea that we're going to go hungry and lack. That's not his plan for human flourishing at all. But it is a matter of the heart. So let's look what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. No, here's what you should do. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. As Jesus talking. It's clear that he's asking us to not prioritize accumulating stuff while others around us might be in need. He's asking us to be generous, not just with our money, but with, with time and care and service. That's the treasure in heaven bit when we actually are benefiting others. When we're st that's what we're storing up, is people being helped and, and needs are being met. He's asking us to be generous. There's actually a surprising amount of scripture about money. And none of them say you shouldn't have any, by the way. <laughs> so right now you can just be assured. It's okay to be earning money, but most of them are warnings about how money can, can and does corrupt us. So we have to be very cautious. 
that the Bible keeps talking about money is asking us to be very cautious. This is the thing that can trip us up. And this is what I think, you know, the fact that our hearts do, do kind of get corrupted that easily when it comes to, to wealth and money, this is what some teachers have tapped into that. They, they, they know there's something there, subtly and deceptively linking the gospel somehow with the desire to be richer. If you do that, you, you've, got, you kind of, you've got a big audience all of a sudden. Here's what Paul says when he wrote to Timothy. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, they, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And this is what we always say here. You know, if God's going to bless you with, with things and with wealth and money, he's, he's doing it so that you can be more generous, not so that you can accumulate more. The most satisfying reward, the best blessing is found in helping others. That's where, that's where, the, uh, that's where prosperity is for me. The third one is teachers who teach an arrogant gospel. Arrogant teachers who care more about being right in their theology and setting others straight all the time instead of having their hearts right, miss the point of theology. If you go to Romans, Paul says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And then I love this sentence, don't think you know it all. Ever met a know-it-all? Maybe we should be starting the question with, am I a know-it-all? <laughs> because I've met people who proudly set others straight with theology, but quite frankly, they're not always nice people. Because you can be the most knowledgeable and theologically correct person in the world and still be a mean and unloving person, and, and therefore your theology, quite frankly, if it doesn't have that kind of, if, that, if it doesn't have fruit, it's wasted. It's like wasted theology. Now, I'm not saying theology is not important. Don't walk out of here and say to people, that pastor is anti-intellectual. He doesn't think theology is... That is not what I'm saying. Okay, everyone hear me? In fact, my first two sub-points that make that kind of clear. Theology is important. We have to use our brains and because we've got to worship in spirit and truth. But God is ultimately concerned with our heart. Heart transformation is his hope for us. That's the point of right theology and right doctrine. Transformation in me and those around us, the world around us. And I promise you, Jesus, he, he, he probably would be kind, somewhat impressed with what you know, but he's very impressed with how much you love. And if you don't believe me, get out a pen. If you're taking notes, just write Matthew 25. I'm not going to tell you any more about it today. And go home and read it. And read it at home. Because in that is a measure of what a transformed life looks like. And it's a challenge to read it and evaluate our hearts and the motivation. Because we don't want to have an arrogant, loveless gospel. It's not the real gospel. The fourth one is teachers who claim to, to be the special messenger. You would think this one would be easy to spot. But people are crafty. And in fact, the word says that sometimes Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
Some people know how to take advantage of people's needs and fears. They have a way of subtly deceiving people. And again, it's the trick of incorporating enough scripture to sound right, but adding in your own special messenger status to convince people that somehow they're the real deal. And all I can say is if you're listening to a particular preacher or teacher who claims to be exclusive, to be God's special messenger, to be the one with the real truth, run. Turn off that podcast, leave that place. These people tend to be obsessed with end times and they spend way too much time in Revelation, which I have nothing against. Those things are important. Those things are important, but they tend to always be there and a constant overemphasis on end times. It tends to lead churches and followers into an um, inward-looking... We withdraw, overanalyzing things. You become unbalanced... The, the fullness of the gospel gets lost. We lose focus on the mission God gave us right now to just be loving all the people around us in our world. The reason I threw this one in was because I was reading a really sad, tragic story about a group in Toowoomba just in the last few weeks who had a group of people break away from a mainstream church with a special messenger. God was revealing the truth to him and they all followed him and sadly they withdrew medication from one of the kids and she died. This is what goes on. It's, it's around us. You know, it was only a couple of years ago we had some people coming into this church trying to influence some young adults and stuff like that for a particular sect or cult group that would come out of South Korea. They were targeting uni students. It is around us. That was my first point, and I had four sub-points. Here's my second point today, and it's the last one. Grab hold of the precious thing. Because verse 10 is what Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Important question for you today. What is the most precious thing in your life? Why is the thing that makes your heart get excited when you think about it? What is the thing you spend a lot of time thinking about or talking to? Do you have the most precious thing? Is Jesus the most precious thing? Have you experienced his power in your life? Are you destined for eternity with Jesus? Because Jesus says, if you can't, don't repent and follow him, then that will be lost. And eternity in heaven won't be your destination. According to Paul, the most valuable thing to him is he is with Jesus. His salvation. It's the most precious thing for any person to obtain. Listen to verse 8 again. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. The most precious thing 
to Paul was Jesus. It co- we know it. It cost him a lot, didn't it? Jesus was precious to him. Jesus is precious to me. Let me just tell you today. He has been so good to me. Even those times when it was a mess and maybe I didn't think God was there, but when I look back, I see that he was. He was faithful. So much patience has God given me. So much patience he's showed me. So much grace he's poured out over and over and over again. Grace that I didn't deserve, and yet he gave it. So much forgiveness. Second chances, third chances, fourth chances, it just keeps coming. So much forgiveness. God has walked with me through hard times. I look back and I see it. I may not be prosperous in a wealthy sense, but I'm blessed to be in his family. I'm blessed to be in his church. I'm blessed with the changes he's brought in my own heart. I'm blessed when God says, Nathan, that thing in you, it's got to go. It's got to change. And I didn't even realize it. And I didn't like it at first. But when he dealt with it and I surrendered to it and, and, and I was changed, I'm blessed because it's better. It's better when God does that work in me. The things that I've been able to overcome, my family and the people who love me, I'm blessed by those things. The opportunities that God has brought my way, I'm blessed The promise that God has given me for my future and my eternity, they're all in the Bible, they're all in his word. I'm blessed when I read them and I know that they're real because we light a candle, because we know that his promises have always come to pass. We know they're real, they're going to happen again. We're blessed. God has given me a future and an eternity. That's prosperity. You heard Mel read about the thrill of hope in our Advent reading earlier. Each day now, I start the day with God and that hope radiates. And you know what? Sometimes you just got to sit there and wait till it does. (laughs) I'm so glad that Christ saved me. When you go back to the start of this passage, it says rejoice. I've got much to rejoice for. He's shown that he loves me. You know, I'm no one. I'm nothing. And yet God loves me. Whatever happens, I'm holding on to him because I know he's holding on to me. He's the most precious thing in my life. My wife and kids are really precious. You guys are precious. Shouldn't have said that. Jesus is the most precious thing to me. The most valuable thing is what Paul says. If you've never grabbed hold of Jesus, the most precious thing in your life, you know, the, the reason you're even here, the reason you exist is he just wants to be in relationship with you. He brought you into being for that. I'm going to just say, why, just say yes to Jesus today. The gift that he is offering. Humbly come to him. Would you stand with me, church?
seems weird that I did four, four points about what to avoid and then finish with come to Jesus. I'm just following what Paul did. And I guess the thing is there's a lot of junk in this world. There's a lot of things that you can go to, that you can do, that you can find that's precious, including false teachers and whatever. I just want to, I want to invite you to encounter the living, risen Christ. So if you're here today and, and you hear that call and that invitation, Jesus died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if you will believe in him, you will not perish, but you'll have eternal life. That's the promise. And I invite you to do that today. What you do is you just, you just have to pray a little, a very simple prayer of, in your heart that says, Jesus, I receive you. I come to you for all that, that you want of me. Forgive me of what I have done. I commit to you today. And I'll just give, let's just take a moment. You can do that quietly today in, in your heart. We thank you, Lord, that you would give your life to save us. Thank you that you love us. We say we love you, God. We love you, Jesus. So church today, if you're here today and you're like, I already follow Jesus, but maybe he's not so precious to me at the moment. Why don't you recommit to him today?